Fake, fake, fakeity fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienno. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and talk about Italian oppression with my friend Vienno. Ah, the spicy meatball. <laughs> hey, bada boom, bada bing. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Vienno? <laughs> I'm okay. Yeah. I don't know. News is depressing, but went for a, uh, election has been called like earlier this week as of time of recording. I went for a walk, saw 11 signs for the local NDP candidate and no other political signs whatsoever. So that felt all right, at least. How are you? I'm okay as well. Uh, you know, just got back from camping. So that was pleasant. And then the election was called and all that fun stuff. Uh, I will say we're delayed. We're behind on a bunch of stuff. So we're recording this, uh, I guess, on August 17th, but who knows when it'll go up. So I know since we just entered the election, I'm going to try to, as best as I can, do as much work as, uh, as possible to get all these episodes out so that we can be more on top of things because this election is going to come by very fast. And mm-hmm. uh, if any time is a time to be on time and releasing episodes. This is probably it. So I'm going to try to catch up as fast as I can. And uh, But if anyone hears this and wants to uh, stay on top of it as well, or at least get our coverage of it, I would recommend uh, following the Twitch and the YouTube because we have been releasing content there. And uh, I mean, it's going to be too late for y'all, but like uh, tomorrow we're going to be uh, going over the political ads and stuff like that. So we're going to have some fun election coverage on our Twitch channel. And all of it will eventually be posted on YouTube. So if there was a time to follow us on t- Twitch and YouTube, this is the time. I will also say right now as well, uh, we have an interview with Dirk Prout that's up on YouTube. Dirk Prout is the candidate for London North Center, which is my writing, not Vienno's, although they uh, are nearby. <laughs> mm-hmm. And... Uh, but uh, Dirk is awesome, and if you want to know more about her, say if you're in the riding of London North Center, go to our YouTube and check out the interview. Dirk is awesome. And uh, yeah, we've complained about Peter Fragiscatos on this channel before. We don't like him. We want him gone. So uh, go vote for Dirk Prout. <laughs> yeah. That's how it goes. Yeah, it would be nice if London went entirely NDP. It would be nice. But... As of this of this episode, none of the subject matter is really about the election. That's going to come up soon. But uh, my, my guess is it's going to be coming uh, pretty fast. I think the only main thing... I mean, there was going to be one news item that's about the election. But the one main thing that was said this week that I didn't really talk about was Ezra does think that Trudeau is... Uh, or that O'Toole is no different than Trudeau. Which is an interesting thing going into the election. Because I don't think he's going to be at all rooting for O'Toole. I mean, he was pretty critical of Sheer, but had like some tentative support, and I'm not sure he's going to have any support at all for O'Toole, which is going to be an interesting difference in the coverage compared to the 2019 election. But we'll see how it goes. Mm-hmm. And with that, we have a patron shout-out. So, uh, Vienno, why don't you thank our patrons? We would like to thank Richard, Durka, Darren, Sarah, Ryan, and Colin. You are the Laurentian elite of the Imperial News Podcast. You're talking about the Laurentian elites? Folding from Laurentian elites. Canada's Laurentian elite. We'd also like to thank Mo, Nicholas, Michael, and Tim, our foreign-funded environmentalists.
What's your message to world leaders today? Uh, my message is that we'll be watching you. How dare you! Lastly, we would like to thank our ultimate patrons, Nate and Ken, for being less annoying than Joel Pollock's cell phone. And had to basically start from scratch. We start from scratch. And that's crazy. We start from scratch. Testosterone flowing. We start from scratch. And that's crazy, crazy, crazy. Homeless people in LA have smartphones. Thank you all so much for your support. You can donate to us at patreon.com slash imperialnews. Now, the Imperial Roundup? The funny thing is that the asking it as a question was something that started from Caitlin. And since this episode's going to be about Italian oppression, I just wanted to say, sorry, Caitlin, that you weren't around for this one. <laughs> we should have had her on as a guest. I used, <laughs> I used to, for anyone who doesn't know, I used to joke with her and be like, oh, I had some authentic Italian cuisine yesterday. I had some East Side Mario's. <laughs> I went to Spaghetti Eddie's. <laughs> we love you, Caitlin. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. This is what happened on Rebel from August 2nd to August 6th. Ezra talks with Tom Flanagan about Western separatism. Nothing of substance is said here except that Tom and Ezra believe Western separatism should be used as a threat in order to have the federal government do more for Alberta. They claim the threat of Quebec separatism is why that province is treated so nicely. In case you are not sure who Tom Flanagan is, he is a political scientist on leave from the University of Calgary. Not quite sure why he's on leave. He is most known for praising colonialism and arguing for the supremacy of Western civilization, and has worked as a witness for the government of Alberta and Manitoba to fight indigenous land claims. He called for the assassination of Julian Assange, which apparently was the first thing that finally the Conservative Party got mad at him for. And then he referred to child pornography as just pictures, and said that people should not be punished simply for owning such pictures. He is a senior fellow at the Fraser Institute, which is a conservative think tank. Yeah, so th there's a lot of reasons he might be on leave from the University of Calgary. Yes. Ooh. Ezra is mad that Unifor is running ads that criticize Aaron O'Toole. He is not upset about the content of the ads, but is mad that Unifor represents journalists. Ezra complains that this is some sort of conflict of interest, considering that the members Unifor represents are supposed to be to objectively cover the news, but their union dues are supporting anti-conservative political ads. However, it is weird that this is an issue when Ezra himself produced an anti-liberal book to coincide with the last election, and was charged for violating election laws in doing so. Felum... Felum... Felum McIllier is back on Ezra's show to beg for money to pay for his Hunter Biden film. This movie is supposed to be about the information found on a laptop that Hunter supposedly left at a repair shop, even though there is no credible evidence the laptop is real or the information exists. 
They compared their movie to the Netflix movie about James Comey, suggesting that theirs has more factual information than the Comey film, even though, as I just pointed out, that evidence does not exist. Ezra says he is donating $100 specifically because the New York Post was censored over the laptop story, thus making this story worth telling. Although, what Ezra fails to discuss is that no New York Post reporter wanted to put their name on the article due to credibility issues with it. And then Facebook and Twitter deleted the New York Post's tweet about it for spreading misinformation. This nothing story about Hunter Biden, which is largely out of the headlines, is not going to make this as, as of yet not made film very enticing, which is why Flam is here to beg for money. Ezra and Andrew Lawton criticize O'Toole for saying he doesn't want an election. To them, they think it makes him look weak, in part because Andrew and Ezra have downplayed the pandemic. O'Toole sucks, but being against an election during a global pandemic shows at least minimal care for public health. Ezra returns to an old talking point, which is that COVID deaths were higher in Quebec due to Quebec's love for euthanasia and abortion. What? Well, here's what I wrote almost exactly a year ago. In Canada, COVID-19 is not a health problem, it's a euthanasia problem. Quebec is Canada's most aggressive pro-euthanasia laws. Quebec has 24% of the population, but 63% of the deaths. I'm not sure if that's accurate today, but that's how it was back then. Almost all of them very old people in institutions with do not revive orders. You don't have to be terminally ill to access state-assisted suicide in Quebec. It's like Planned Parenthood took over the seniors' homes. I'll read just one more. Quebec has a culture of death. They have the highest abortion rate in Canada, though they no longer publish the data. Abortion is common birth control even for college students. I go on a bit, but it's pretty clear to me there's nothing in the air or water in Quebec. Their hospitals aren't remarkably better or worse than the rest of Canada. They just have laws that let people pull the plug so easily. Referring to Quebec as a culture of death. And that was confirmed in recent weeks by nurses and doctors confessing when people in those places got sick, they didn't try and make them better. They just put them on morphine to numb the pain and started to basically turn off the switch. Why? Because they were very sick anyways and very old and on the brink of death because they didn't know what else to do with them because they were pressured or scared or politicians with an eye to budgets or, I don't know, their own kids ready for grandma and grandpa to kick the bucket already. I don't know. But for whatever reason, that's what happened. Sorry, I don't blame a virus for that. That's politics. That's a culture of death. This is in response to an article which showed in some long-term care homes in Quebec, nurses were treating COVID patients with morphine. Ezra thinks this is because they wanted the old people to be euthanized. Yes, yeah, some of them died from the virus or naturally, but the Globe story says many of them were effectively euthanized. It's a version of what Hansi Andy Cuomo did in New York. He basically wanted to get rid of these people. But this had more to do with a lack of staff and resources in long-term care homes to deal with this pandemic. Mark Morano is back to promote the climate lockdown theory. He says they want to make propaganda that suggests you are killing people by eating meat, by contributing to CO2 emissions, just like they convinced everyone that you are killing people when you don't wear a mask. Americans are killing three to four people. If you eat a hamburger, this afternoon, you just killed a Kenyan. If you drive an SUV to the supermarket, you just killed a Bangladeshi. That's how bad it's become. They want to make it so that there's a daily 
awareness of Americans that everything we do that involves energy with fossil fuel, we're murdering people. We're no better than the unvaxxed, unmasked person who's murdering grandma hmm. by, not, by not following COVID protocols. This seems to ignore that CO2 emissions and COVID-19 are in fact killing people, something that Morano doesn't seem to believe. Morano then recommends that parents violate COVID mandates for schools and to fight school employees on this. It's just madness at this point. I'm not, it's, we have to stand up individually. You have to fight this and you have to make it uncomfortable for people. I'm telling everyone, public school kid parents, organize, show up the first day on mask with kids not wearing masks, make it uncomfortable. It's too easy to pull your kid out and say, I'm leaving. Stay and cause nightmares for the bureaucrats there and the teachers and the principals. So expect COVID denying parents to be yelling at your children's teacher in the coming school year. And that is the week. There are two main stories I wanted to cover in this. One it has more to do with COVID, and it'll be super uh, quick. It's just really ironic. <laughs> the other story is going to take a bit more detail, but it's it's mostly having to do with Andrew Cuomo, but it goes off on a tangent that you will not expect. So that segment's going to start off a bit light and then go to some really dark places, but uh, at least we'll get to have some uh, fun at the expense of Andrew Cuomo at the start. Uh, so that's all right, I guess. Sure. The first story is Ezra begins one of his episodes by praising Richard Feynman. Now, Vienno, do you know who Richard Feynman is? Uh, he's a physicist guy. Wasn't he involved in the Manhattan Project? He was indeed involved in the Manhattan Project. Hmm. He, he was one of the ones, I think, who came out sort of uh, not regretting his involvement, but like, like Oppenheimer, uh, reflective on the responsibility of that decision and maybe regretting some of it. Hmm. So he's not... He's an interesting character, very fun. I, I recommend his books uh, on physics. I enjoyed them. So, uh, you know, it's weird. It's weird to me, for one, because Ezra brings him up, but then talks about him as if he's never heard of him before, <laughs> which, I mean, is possible, but also says that Feynman is his new hero. And the reason why he wants to talk about Feynman is because he found a small speech by Feynman where he's criticizing uh, experts. Now I'm going to discuss how we would look for a new law. In general, we look for a new law by the following process. First, we guess it. <laughs> then we... Well, don't laugh. That's the really true. Then we compute the consequences of the guess to see what, if this is right, if this law that we guessed is right, we see what it would imply, and then we compare those computation results to nature, or we say compared to experiment or experience, compare it directly with observation to see if it, if it works. If it disagrees with experiment, it's wrong. And that simple statement is the key to science. It doesn't make any difference how beautiful your guess is. It doesn't make any difference how smart you are, who made the guess, or what his name is. If it disagrees with experiment, it's wrong. That's all there is to it. Do you see Feynman's point? 
if you believe that we already know everything, or if you believe that the experts are infallible, you wouldn't challenge existing knowledge. You wouldn't test it or dispute it. So when you hold up a man, a flawed sinner like we all are, and say, this man is science, that's not right. And it's not quite that Feynman is criticizing experts. It's that he's saying that, like, science isn't about personalities. Science is about observable information, right? So no one man is, like, the scientific authority. The scientific authority, according to Feynman, is the observable reality. What experiments will show us, okay? Sure. I obviously will have some critiques about a strong claim like this. I think Richard Feynman, when he was saying this, was on like a, it was, I think it was on like a public science program. So obviously he's probably simplifying, but there's also some criticism of the fact of like, there are people who go around pretending they're scientific authorities when really we should be paying attention to the data. And that claim I can get behind, right? Like, just because you're an expert doesn't mean you do have all the knowledge, you know? <laughs> yeah, like when like when someone like Neil deGrasse Tyson says something about how society works, and it's just very obviously wrong. Yeah. <laughs> he might know some exactly. star bullshit, he doesn't know much else. Yeah, so I mean, that's that's more about staying in your lane, but it is also the, uh, the case where you'll get some people who have expertise in a field and just be completely wrong about it, right? Uh like there's tons of people coming out as like COVID vaccine quacks, like anti-vaxxers, even though they mm -hmm. have degrees in say medicine or something like this. Right. So being a, an expert in the medical field does not mean that you're an expert in everything in the medical field. Right. Yeah. Anyways, I think the broader point is that there's nothing too objectionable about Richard Feynman is saying there. If you take it, uh, as I think it was meant by, by how Richard presented it. But Ezra really latches onto this and uses it as, attack, as an attack against uh, Fauci, okay? <laughs> now, Dr. Fauci, has, I mean, he's a public figure in that respect, and he is kind of like a mouthpiece for the science that uh, is given to him. So he's, he's not speaking as an authority in the sense of, like, I am the one who did the research. But he should be saying things based on the research. He's, I would like to think that he's trying his best, at least. Mm -hmm. But Ezra thinks that Fauci is saying that he is science. And somehow this is contradicted by the Feynman quote. And he plays this clip of Fauci uh, saying... But take a listen to Anthony Fauci saying he is science. It's very dangerous, Chuck, because a lot of what you're seeing as attacks on me, quite frankly, are attacks on science. Because all of the things that I have spoken about consistently from the very beginning have been fundamentally based on science. Yeah, he absolutely loves it. He's a narcissist of the first order. He's a media hound. I really don't know how Fauci does any work at all. All he does is go on TV. He's a pundit. But if you challenge him, if you believe he's ignorant, well, you will be told he is science. No, big guy, you are not science. You are a politician who seeks to remove himself from scrutiny or criticism by invoking science. But if you 
listen to what he says, and as replace the clip, it is very clear that Fauci is not saying he is science. He's saying that his decisions are based on the science, which, if anything, fits the framework that Richard Feynman suggests is what makes... Uh, or, or is his criticism on experts? It's not that you should take Fauci at his, at faith. It's that Fauci is basing his decisions on the science, as he should, as Richard Feynman suggested. <laughs> nope. When Fauci dies, science is over. Yeah. There will be no more science. The universe will collapse in on itself. It's just so weird. So he's going on this whole thing uh, as a gotcha, bringing up Feynman, who's dead. <laughs> To make some sort of gotcha on Fauci for merely saying that criticisms of against him are attacks on the science because the decision making is based on science. And Ezra calls him arrogant for saying this. And he says that people who listen to Fauci are like a, a worshipping a religion. And Ezra keeps bringing it back to the fact that Feynman would support Ezra because Feynman is anti-expert. And I want to point oh. out why this... <laughs> I mean, there's obvious reasons why this is messed up, because Feynman, a legitimate science scientist, is probably going to agree with things like vaccination and all that fun stuff. I feel like he might have been an expert in physics. Not only, not only that, I, the first thing that came to my mind was that Richard Feynman was used as an expert during a trial. Uh, or not a trial, it was an investigation that had to do with the Challenger explosion. And there was a famous moment when Richard Feynman dropped this, like, O-ring gasket in, like, a solution and showed how it caused the gasket to decay, thus explaining why the Challenger explosion uh, occurred and how it was neglect that led to that explosion. And he was mm -hmm. used as an expert in that investigation. <laughs> so <Yep>. it's... <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, there's also, you could say, like, he was used as an expert on the Manhattan Project and other shit, right? So, like, this whole thing is, like, I don't think Feynman is anti-expert. Like, clearly he has an expertise in physics. He's just saying, is basically he was making an argument against an argument to authority. Saying that, like, you shouldn't just trust somebody because they have a degree. What also matters is, like, the facts of reality. But that being said... Some people have dedicated more time to it than others, and I don't think Feynman would have criticized that, you know? Fauci has put in some time. He prob Fauci probably knows more than Ezra, and Feynman probably would have respected that, considering that Feynman was someone who was deeply involved in government-oriented scientific experiments and investigations and all that fun stuff. <laughs> Did you happen to look up Feynman's opinions on vaccines? No. Well, there you have it, don't you? Well, he's also dead, so I don't care. <laughs> I will the other the only other funny part about this is in Ezra claiming that Fauci is like some religious figure, Feynman coined this phrase called cargo cult science. And this is based on the idea of a cargo cult. I'm not sure. Are you familiar with that phrase? No. I've, I can't remember where exactly this was. I want to say it was in Indonesia. And part of it was during World War II. 
a lot like the American troops when they were fighting Japan had bases established on the various islands uh, in the South Pacific. Mm-hmm. And there were some islands with uh, tribes that existed there that did not have connection with uh, modern technology and stuff like this. And so these planes showed up with American troops on them and they gave these people a bunch of stuff and then one day flew away and the villagers like basically created airplanes and stuff like out of the uh, bamboo that looked like the airplanes that came and delivered stuff and they created a religion called John from and the the idea John from what they think it is is because one of the American soldiers was probably like hi I'm John from like Alabama or something right and yeah. so it was called John from and the idea was they built these things thinking if they built them they, they would come back and bring their car- cargo and give us more of the supplies that they left us the first time. So it was like this weird religious connection. And why Feynman creates this uh, this thing called cargo cult science was a way of showing that like some people believe it, like this ideology or religion, but really there's no substance to it, right? There was nothing about building the airplanes that was actually going to cause the Americans to come back, right? There was nothing there. And so his position was like the the whole point of science is to run tests and do experiments and to update our data rather than relying on this kind of cargo cult science and just believing things that we want to believe which again would be a, a direct criticism of what Ezra does on his fucking show <laughs> now I, I enjoy Richard Feynman I find his like work uh, in popularizing science uh fun and entertaining his stuff on quantum computing is neat and so it's just like hilarious that i i have i doubt highly doubt that Feynman would at all be supportive of ezra but because he's dead ezra can kind of use him and pretend like richard Feynman, this great physicist would somehow be his ally against dr fauci it's so silly and petty albert einstein would have been an anti-masker uh, <laughs> Carl Sagan, anti-masker. Linus Pauling probably would have been an anti-masker. He was someone who won the Nobel Prize for something and eventually went on to think that like massive doses of vitamin C will like cure all kinds of cancer and shit. And so he was right about one thing. I can't even remember what it was for why he won the Nobel Prize, but then went off the deep end. So they're not all perfect. <laughs> Frederick Banting, anti-masker. I don't even know who that is. Insulin. Oh, okay. It's like the 100th year or something. I don't know. There's a special toonie. I've seen it at work. Whatever the first name of Dr. Sulk from the polio vaccine would have been an anti-masker. We can attribute any opinion to anybody who is dead, and we are right to do so. (laughs) That's why Marx agrees with every opinion that I have about capitalism. Now you might be wondering as well, why like why did I spend so much on time on this Richard Feynman thing? And that's partly because literally the next day. So remember, the whole point about bringing up Richard Feynman is all experts are bad, which is why Ezra is pointing to an expert to criticize experts. You know, awesome of job, course. Ezra. 
But he's like, all ex experts are bad. This is why we should not trust a, a Dr. Fauci. Then literally, the next day, he's talking about this story about Pat King. Now, Pat King is this guy who was involved in the Wexit movement. He's kind of a fringe character. He's in, been involved in the anti-lockdown, anti-mask uh, uh, bullshit as well. He apparently was ticketed for attending an anti-mask rally and then went to court. And during the court proceedings, he thinks that he got the judge to admit that COVID isn't real. In reality, what it was was a discrepancy between... Uh, so he was asking for people to show up to the trial, including the public health minister in Alberta. And the judge was like, there's no material evidence to suggest that this person, the minister of Alberta, has anything relevant to bring to this. So we're not going to force them to appear in our court. Okay? Yeah. And Pat King takes that no material evidence to suggest that there's no material evidence for COVID. Because <laughs> he's a <sighs> moron. Because <laughs> judges decide that. And here's where it's surprising. Ezra sides with the judge and criticizes Pat King. This is a trend we've been covering on YouTube, which is that Ezra seems to be criticizing and doing a debunking for some of the more fringe elements of the uh, anti-lockdown, anti-vaccine, COVID denialist camp. And that's interesting, and we're not fully sure why he's doing it. But this has been an ongoing thing. This is the first time, really, that it's uh, come up on the podcast itself. And he criticized Pat King. But he said he isn't an idiot. The issue was that he just needed an expert lawyer. You know, you can't be doing this all by yourself. You need to appeal to experts who know more than you. Patrick King didn't uh, know that he had to uh, do it in a certain way because he's not a lawyer. He didn't know how to subpoena the health officer because he's not a lawyer. I'm not making fun of him. Those are expert things. Just like medical doctors know expert things about medicine or engineers or accountants, they all know expert things. If you're, not a, if you're a layman, it's not embarrassing that you don't know expert things. It doesn't even have to be a profession. How about skilled trades? Welding, carpentry. Those aren't professions, but skilled trades and the tickets to practice them, that's a special knowledge too. And it's not embarrassing if you don't know how to do it because you're not a welder. Just don't pretend you are an expert welder then <laughs> yeah this this coming the day after he said that you can't trust experts and listen to this expert richard Feynman telling you not to trust experts the next day he's literally saying come on pat king why didn't you go to an expert <laughs> see but that's different because lawyers I don't, I, don't, I don't actually have anything. I was hoping I would say the sentence and something would come to me, but like nothing came. This is the interesting thing, though, and is that John Carpe of the Center of Constitutional, or Centers of Justice of Constitutional Freedom, I can't even remember, or Justice Center of Constitutional Freedom, whatever the fuck it is. He's been on Ezra's show constantly since we started this back in 2019. But recently, he's kind of been gone, even though he was deeply involved with their Fight the Fines campaign, uh, which was them fighting against all these COVID uh, mandates and laws and all people who are getting tickets. And they were going to pay for lawyers to fight, and they were working with uh, Carpe to do this. But Carpe hasn't been around lately, and that's interesting. And so when I looked into it, apparently John Carpe 
has been has resigned from the center our justice center of constitutional freedom and the reason is is because while he was defending one of these cases uh against one of his clients who had uh, a ticket for violating the covid mandates he paid a private investigator to stalk the judge in that case in order to catch the judge in a moment where they were violating COVID mandates. And so that oh is why God. he hasn't been on Esther's show for a while. Oh my God. So when you say Ezra wants uh, Pat King to trust expert lawyers, Ezra's expert lawyers that he's had on his show for years is no longer appearing on the show because that expert lawyer hired a private investigator to stalk a judge. <laughs> So uh, it's tons of fun. I will say the one thing that Ezra says that was kind of nice is he was afraid that people would take Patrick King's advice seriously. And he does highlight that Patrick King is wrong specifically because Patrick King was using sovereign citizen beliefs uh, in the court case. And for those who don't know, uh, I don't know much about the sovereign citizen movement, but they're basically a bunch of people who believe that like the law is a series of magical words and uh, think that if you say the right series of words in your court case, that somehow the judge will like throw your case out or something. And so Ezra is right to not be taking Pat King's advice, okay? <laughs> I guess the one good thing out of this is Ezra is right to debunk Pat King. However, Ezra is wrong about everything else. So, you know, you, you say the right code word and the judge's brain resets and then they think that they're at the start of the next trial. Yeah. And boom, you're free. <laughs> it's over. You win. It is, it is wild. I, I will say as well, sovereign citizens tend to be, or not tend to be, they're considered one of the larger uh, threats in America. Uh, I think they're, they are the ones who more frequently kill police officers because they believe that they have rights as free citizens to not be arrested by police and will shoot police officers when they're being pulled over. So... Hmm. Uh, and yet, weird that all we hear about is uh, all the evil black people who uh, apparently kill cops, even though they don't. But it's uh, white sovereign citizens that are the ones who are more likely to shoot police officers. Black Lives Matter did $3 trillion worth of damage to the U.S. economy. <laughs> That's equal uh, to the lives of millions of cops. Uh, I think it was $2 billion was the number. <laughs> I like it. eventually by the time uh, this year's over, it'll be up to like 10 trillion. Just keeps going up. Yeah. Could have canceled student debt with the amount BLM destroyed. But no, we can't do that now. I also want to say that this segment ended very weird. It just ends abruptly. Like Ezra was mid sentence. Segment's done. I have no beef with a guy fighting like hell. I don't know much about Patrick King. I, I know he. You know, he squabbled with Antifa before. I don't like Antifa one bit. He organized an anti-Antifa rally in Red Deer. There was a scuffle there. I don't think he was involved in the scuffle himself. I know he was on the United We Roll convoy for a bit. He's obviously a lockdown skeptic. All right. For those reasons, some people are telling me to stop criticizing what he said and to... 
I just thought that was interesting. I don't think it was done on purpose, like a, a censorship thing, or he was cutting something out. It's just literally the quality of the show. They give so little fucks that uh, he literally, whoever he has editing his podcast, cut it off mid-sentence. <laughs> oh, the power went out, and they couldn't save the audio file in time, so they just decided to roll with it. Well, I mean, next it went right into the interview segment, but... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, because they had that on a separate audio file, you know? Fair. I mean, there's an obvious way to get around that edit. Is like maybe edit it a little beforehand, but they literally did the least amount of work, which is like, it ends, if the power went out, they just left it and like put it in when you could have just bumped it up just a little further, cut it off when he finished the sentence or something. I guess I know how we're ending this episode. (laughs) Mid-sentence? Yeah. Uh, maybe. We'll find out. I mean, it almost ends mid-sentence with the Albumbia thing anyways, in part because he, like, he doesn't finish out the singing of it fully, and it cuts away well, fast. Well, he hasn't so fully worked out the lyrics, so... That's true. Gotta wait until Albumbia stands strong and free. Oh, and Albumbia's coming. There was a few more Wexit segments this week, so uh, it's interesting to see where he's going to stand during the election in terms of Wexit, but... But now we're into the next story. So everyone knows by now, probably, if you follow the news, that Andrew Cuomo basically a few months ago was accused of sexually harassing and assaulting some people and abusing his power in that regard. And he refused to step down and said, we need to do an investigation first. So what happened the week this show aired The investigation was released, and at first, Cuomo refused to step down. Uh, Well, so not only was the investigation released, the investigation was released and was pretty damning. There was even elements where it looked like he can be criminally charged for some of the shit that he did. But then he refused to step down immediately and released one of the more embarrassing videos. And Ezra does play it in uh, this segment, which is uh, Cuomo tries to excuse what he did by saying that it's just like his Italian heritage to like kiss people and to say ciao bella. (laughs) I've been making the same gesture in public all my life. I actually learned it from my mother and from my father. It is meant to convey warmth, nothing more. Indeed, there are hundreds, if not thousands of photos of me using the exact same gesture. I do it with everyone, black and white, young and old, straight and LGBTQ, powerful people, friends, strangers, People who I meet on the street. After the event, the woman told the press that she took offense at the gesture. And for that, I apologize. Another woman stated that I kissed her on the forehead at our Christmas party and that I said, ciao, Bella. Now, I don't remember doing it, but I'm sure that I did. 
and someone put together a slideshow for this presentation showing like here's a black person that he kissed here's <laughs> and they released sure. this as if it sure. was like somehow exonerating to him it's so embarrassing so of course Ezra plays that but uh this episode that Ezra then what we're going to be responding to was the day after that whole episode took place. Now, we know in the present that Andrew Cuomo has given his 14-day resignation. I guess he's going to resign in, now it's less than 14 days, but he gave 14 days to uh, resign. So we know that's happening. But as this episode is airing, Ezra and his guest do not know that this is happening. And that's important because Ezra begins his coverage here saying that Cuomo will weather the storm. <laughs> Which is why the news that Governor Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York State, has been found by a Democrat attorney general to have systematically harassed and groped women in his orbit. I am quite certain that he'll weather the storm as all leftists do. Yeah. He's going to weather it. He's going to be just fine. And then Pamela Geller responds that Cuomo will survive this. Pamela Geller is the guest. Now, some of you might uh, know who Pamela Geller is. I think I asked you before the recording if you knew who Pamela Geller was, and you said, no, not really. Nope. Now, we're going to get to it. That's going to ha- how we're going to end this segment. You are going to notice, and the reason why I'm going to leave off who she is and what she's known for to the end, and we're going to end on that, is because not knowing who she is, this discussion with her about Cuomo is going to feel like whiplash. You're going to be like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) At least that's how I felt even knowing who she is, but it kind of made a little bit more sense knowing who she was when this was happening. So for those who know who Pamela Geller is, this isn't going to be as surprising. But imagine like listening to this and not knowing who she is. This gets kind of weird. It starts like pretty benign at first. She refers to the women as being poor Democrat women uh, and claims that they were fed into this rape machine. And the idea here is that the government knew that he was a predator and let women be around him anyways. And she describes that as a problem. And there's, I mean, I wouldn't put it necessarily how she does, but like if people did know and they let women go near him anyways, then yeah, maybe that is a big deal. But then you could see a bit of the whiplash clicks in. She goes, We are choking to death under this yoke of totalitarianism. That's the only way it is. And those girls, they suffered for a long time because you know what? You have to be a martyr to the Democrat cause. We saw that when we saw these young BDS activists going over to Gaza and getting raped and getting molested, but they were told, don't say anything because it'll, it'll, it'll make them, you know, it'll make them look bad. So you're supposed to sacrifice yourself in the cause of the, the Democrat agenda. What? It feels out of nowhere. I don't even know what this is referring to, but she just drops it there. And Ezra moves on without acknowledging it. (laughs) Ezra then says Cuomo is someone with the right political identity. uh, And this means that he gets a pass from all the rules. Uh, 
So he's they're just going to let it slide and they're going to ignore the fact that he's been accused and that the investigation showed him to be pretty uh, guilty. And I have to say, uh, it is interesting in hindsight, knowing that he has resigned and knowing that people like Al Franken resigned. And it seems like Democrats tend to be more likely to discipline their members who do this shit, where Donald Trump was credibly accused by many women. And Ezra still defends him, right? Mm -hmm. So if anything, Donald Trump has the right political identity from getting a pass on this, right? It's just, I mean, it's an obvious got like uh, hypocrisy gotcha, but at the same time, it's just so weird for them to just be like, oh, the, the Democrats just let all their sexual harassers get away with it when they clearly are the party that lets their harassers get away with it all, all the time. Yeah, it's just, it's very stupid. But then we get Geller chiming in and Geller goes. And we see once again that the feminist movement is a phony movement mm-hmm. when it comes when it comes to women's rights. I mean, real, real women's rights, whether it's not wanting to wear a hijab. Yes. Um, or coming out against a popular leftist uh, figure, an iconic figure. Uh, once again, one must sacrifice themselves. One must throw themselves under the bus in the cause of Democrat totalitarianism. But um, bum like, <laughs> Yeah, just actually, no, like liberal feminism was one of the big reasons that the war in Afghanistan happened. You know, no, no, it can be weaponized for Islamophobic purposes, Pamela. But you're starting to notice a trend here, right? <laughs> yep. Geller then says something uh, just weird, which is that they need to throw themselves under the bus of democratic totalitarianism and claims that even Biden ta- Biden hasn't said anything. And I even feel like during the airing of this episode, Biden was telling... Uh, Cuomo to resign. Yeah, I felt I feel like it was the same day as the listen, I'm Italian or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah exactly. So she's wrong, uh, just straight up about that. And in responding to this, uh, the ridiculous of Cuomo getting away with it, Geller mentions that both Ezra and her were canceled in 2006. This guy should be relegated to the fringes of society. Uh, but no, it's the truth tellers that are marginalized, demonized, libeled, slandered, and relegated to the absolute fringes of society. And by the way, that hasn't changed. All this talk about cancel culture, all this talk, you and I were canceled, okay, in 2006. Let's, let's, let's talk straight. This has been going on for a long time. Now, they don't explain what that means or what that references, but I'll, I'll just put a pin in that. Boop. Sure. Ezra suggests that Kamala Harris got her job for taking a casting couch deal. Yeah. You know, it's incredible to me now. Of course, Kamala Harris got her start, her breakthrough in politics by having an affair with an older Democrat. And I raise that only in that we had some Democratic women go to authorities here, just like some Democrat or some actresses in Hollywood complained about Harvey Weinstein. But there were others who didn't complain. They made the deal. They, they said, all right. I, I mean, we don't know who went further than a grope with Governor Cuomo. It sounds to me like he was propositioning anything uh, in sight. And we know about the women who objected to it. 
But we don't know who got an appointment to high office to, to I mean, the governor has an enormous power in who he appoints to what position. And he kind of like criticizes them for this. And I'm like, this is fucking gross. And what of course, fuck? Ezra would like go here. Yeah. And I don't even know this about Kamala Harris. Apparently, like she slept with someone to get ahead. Like, I, I don't even know what the fuck this is referring to. My guess is lies based on everything that's gone on so far. <laughs> it made it sound like her husband must have been someone she was employed by at some point or something like this. The whole thing's just fucked up. Either way. Yeah. Geller, uh, this part was funny. Geller does call Cuomo an animal and suggests he's so sexually voracious that he has an inflatable doll in his office. First of all, I think Andrew Cuomo is a deeply sick man. He couldn't keep his hands off of anything. I'm so, I wouldn't be surprised if he had an inflatable doll in his office. Huh. And it's like, okay, Geller, sure. And then uh. Geller suggests that he will get reelected, and she says that Trump won New York. I can tell you that I wish they did an audit in this state, because I, I, Trump got, I don't know if he won, but every person that I spoke to on my line, every Uber driver, every delivery person, every person that works. I'm not talking about the elite in New York. I'm not talking about that, the pantheon of limousine liberals. I'm talking about the working man. Every working man, whatever color, creed, or, or, or religion, always, whenever I, and I would always ask everyone, who are you voting for? It was always Trump. So everything stinks. Okay, and it starts with election integrity. If we had that, we wouldn't have these problems. We wouldn't have these dictatorial uh, Schumer's and Pelosi's that never, ever leave office. They're like Stalin and Putin. That's how they end it. (laughs) What is going on? Like, it's a bit weird. This person is a bit weird. Now, I know Pamela Geller. I have bumped into the things that she has done before. In fact, the thing I most remember her for is she held an event in 2015, which is, it was an an event to uh, promote drawing the Prophet Muhammad. And the reason why I know about this is because during the promotion of this event, it pissed off a lot of people. The fact, and like, we'll go through her long history. So there's a reason why it pissed off a lot of people. And what happened was eventually two people who claimed to be inspired by ISIS shot a security guard who ended up surviving. And then the two uh, people were then killed by the police. So it's considered a failed terrorist attack because these individuals didn't succeed in harming anyone other than the one person that they shot and they both ended up dying. But this got her a bunch of publicity for doing this gross now you can already see as well that the things that she brought up in this interview all seem to be directed at muslim things and that is a a long part of her history is that she's mostly known for being an anti-muslim bigot hence why she would host a drawing of the prophet muhammad event in 2015 so we're going to go through her uh, a list of shit that she's done And let it sink in that Ezra doesn't mind being in this person's company and still thinks that he can walk away from this going, I'm not an anti-Muslim bigot. Because if you're friends with Pamela Geller, 
You're an anti-Muslim bigot. And I will just frame that right at the start, okay? But believe me, I think you you are going to yeah. be surprised at the level this gets. But here we go. She started her political activism mostly after September 2001, but uh, it mostly started in 2004 when she started a blog called Atlas Shrugs. Now, this is obviously a reference to Atlas Shrugged, which is Ayn Rand, so she's uh, one of these conservatives. Already pretty cringe. Now, she mentioned that her and Ezra were canceled in 2006, and this has to do with uh, Ezra at the time, had published the Danish drawings of the Prophet Muhammad in his Western Standard magazine, in which he was brought to the Human Rights Tribunals for, something we've covered on the podcast before. And like Ezra, she was criticized for publishing the Danish drawings in her blog in 2006. So that's what she was referencing as them being canceled in 2006, which I would add, if they were canceled in 2006, how are they still around like if canceling means i still have to talk about you in 2021 you you weren't canceled in 2006 listen cancel culture hadn't started up yet (laughs) it wasn't the dominant cultural expression in 2006 like it is today if you get canceled in 2021 you're executed on the street the day the day after that's why there's no dr seuss anymore (laughs) exactly where do you think he went So beyond the drawing of the uh, Prophet Muhammad or the publishing of those cartoons, she then started getting like in-person activism. So she ran a campaign against an Arabic language public school in Brooklyn. And that was sort of like the start of her harassing Muslims beyond the Internet. She then co-founded a group called American Freedom Defense Initiative, which is also quasi-named the Stop Islamization of America organization. And this uh, then branched into a bunch of like umbrella organizations like Stop Islamization of Nations and Stop Islamizations of Europe, all of which are listed as hate groups by the ADL and the SPLC for their anti-Muslim bigotry. Was this a precursor to Pegida then? I don't... Or... Th- they're probably friends with Pegida. That would not surprise me at all but they are not uh, Pegida. Yeah. This was an American-centric organization, and it was co-founded by a guy named Robert Spencer, not to be confused with Richard Spencer, the white nationalist, although Robert Spencer is probably on that line. I think he had a blog online for a long time called Jihad Watch. Mm. She was also... so She was so hated even by a lot of Republicans that she was banned from CPAC, the uh, Republican political convention, for claiming that a person named Grover Norquest was a secret Muslim uh, or a secret Islamist and that he worked for the Muslim Brotherhood. Now, Grover Norquest is a super white dude <laughs> who, like, like conservative Christian, but he was like a anti-tax conservative. And his whole campaign was to get Republicans to sign like a no tax pledge so that they would never raise taxes. And that's his existence. But some reason, and I couldn't figure out why, she hated him and claimed that he was a secret Islamist. You have to do so much to be banned from CPAC. Yeah. <laughs> Especially today. Maybe they had more boundaries back then. But, like, yes, well, her banning came after some of the other shit that we're going to talk about. So Yeah. But not only was she banned from CPAC, she was blocked from the entire country of the United Kingdom 
for her anti-Muslim activism, and the government claimed uh, that her entrance to the country would not be conducive to the public good. (laughs) Wow. Yep. But she was allowed into Canada. She was invited by the Jewish Defense League in Toronto to speak at one of their events. So, Of course it's the JDL. Her website has falsely claimed that Europe is banning Christmas celebrations because of Muslims. Uh, she has even claimed that Muslims say that Muhammad's birthday is December 24th and that this is a secret ploy to undermine Christmas around the world. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. On top of... (laughs) The Islamic calendar is a lunar calendar. It doesn't have fixed solar dates. Ever. Listen, her her bigotry doesn't need to be reasonable. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. It's just like... There's just such a wild claim to make. What? (laughs) And a lot of these claims were made on her blog. Since things have moved along, she's also defended Trump conspiracy theories, saying that uh, Michael Flynn was innocent and that, like, the Russian thing was all a hoax. And she's also now spreading lies about COVID-19 like everyone else who's in this camp. I also learned that she was the one who coined the term Ground Zero Mosque. I don't know if you remember this at all, but there was an incident, I think, during uh, the Obama presidency that a mosque was being built in New York that was, like, near-ish to where the Twin Towers were. It wasn't even, like, like it's not like the mosque was built, being built where the Twin Towers fell, right? But it was in the vicinity. Mm-hmm. And so she coined the term Ground Zero Mosque and made a huge stink about it. And it was one of these stories that, like, Fox News ran with forever, Blaming, like saying, oh my God, they're building a mosque near ground zero. The the Muslims are winning kind of like argument. And uh, not surprising that she was one of the ones who spearheaded that movement against that mosque. Yeah, no, I vaguely remember that. She is also known for trying to purchase subway ads. Uh, a subway as in the transportation, not like uh, the sandwich shop. <laughs> she didn't almost get a, a subway sub named after her? No, uh... But it was worse. Uh, The ads referred to Muslims as savages and tried to link Muslims to Hitler. Yep. Sounds about right. A lot of advertising companies uh, declined her ability to post those. So Good. She then started spreading conspiracy theories that local Muslim groups who raised money for the victims of the Tree of Life synagogue uh, in Pittsburgh uh, for their shooting victims. So... For those who don't remember, a white nationalist uh, walked into that synagogue and shot a bunch of people. And so these Muslim groups raised money, and she spread rumors that they kept it for themselves. Unfounded, just uh, biased speculation. She also uh, spread the lie that Muslims were responsible for the burning of Notre Dame when that happened. Honestly, I mean, we did a good one if we did that. Yeah. Why why the Notre Dame hate? Fuck that stupid old church. Listen, Fair. fuck Paris, fuck <laughs> France. All of their cultural heritage should burn. <laughs> she claimed the Las Vegas shooter was a leftist. She also said the Parkland shooting was inspired by the left and Islam, even though the person who did that shooting had uh, swastikas on his rifle and was clearly a Trump supporter. So, 
there's many stories like this that I'm just not going to cover. Uh, but she, her blog is filled with tons of examples like this, where there was this one incident where a man uh, with a Muslim-sounding name drove into a supermarket in Arizona. And she claimed that the person uh, did this due to, like because he was uh, supporting jihad by driving the car through uh, the supermarket. But it turns out that the man had a heart attack. It had absolutely nothing to do with some sort of like religious motivated driving of a car through a supermarket in Arizona. But her blogs are filled with tons of examples of this just constantly fear-mongering about many... Many, any, any time a Muslim person is involved in anything, she will somehow link it to jihad. Of course. She then, there's further blog posts that claim that uh, Muslims practice bestiality and they promote genocide, which uh, I want to just uh, stick a pin in the promote genocide thing because that's going to be depressingly ironic when it comes to Geller. She's also, I mean, this oh, is probably <laughs> this is probably the least surprising thing is Geller is a self-described ardent Zionist. <gasps> what a surprise. <laughs> what a shock. Who could have guessed? She's also one of the main proponents of the birther conspiracy movement, which claimed that Obama was not born in America, but was born in Kenya and was a secret Muslim. She also had, like, additional elements of this conspiracy theory was that uh, Obama's mother was secretly impregnated by Malcolm X. <laughs> I don't know. Huh? <laughs> like, there's, you know, there's elements of the birther movement. It's all crazy. But, like, she's the crazy yeah. of the crazy. You know what I mean? And I don't use, mean to use, like, yeah, English wow. language there. But, like... <laughs> Okay, I don't know how American citizenship laws work, to be fair. If you're born of two American citizens, wouldn't you be an American? I don't know. I guess, yeah, I think so. But, like, maybe because he was born on Kenyan soil that it, like, somehow voids it? I don't know. Yeah, it's just so stupid. So here is what I want to say is the more darker element. She was cited in Anders Breivik's manifesto. Anders Breivik, for those who uh, are just painfully unaware, is a Norwegian mass murderer who in 2011 uh, killed a lot of people, including children at a camp. Yeah, wasn't like 49. And he did so because he was uh, inspired by a, a lot of uh, bigoted writers that Muslims were taking over Europe and changing it away from being a Christian nation to a Muslim nation. It was 69. It was 69 in the shooting and then eight in a bombing in Oslo. Yeah, terrible human being. So she was cited by Anders Breivik. And not only was she cited by him, he referred to her as a decent human being and said that he had been following her blog for a year before the shooting. She then responded to this by scrubbing her Atlas Shrugs blog, including a post in 2007 which discusses a man stockpiling weapons in Norway for fear of, a, like, a Muslim invasion. Mm -hmm. To downplay her connection with the murderer, she claimed he was likely inspired by Islamic extremists or supremacists. So the idea was, like, it wasn't me that motivated him. He was motivated by the fact that Muslims are moving into Norway, which is not, like, the... 
the defense you, you want to make there? Yeah. It then gets worse because she then described the camp where the children were murdered as an anti-Semitic indoctrination center with pro with a pro-Islamic agenda. So she was defending the fact that this guy killed a bunch of kids by saying that it yeah. was somehow pro-Islamic. She has even since defended Brevik himself by saying Brevik was targeting the future leaders of the party responsible for flooding Norway with Muslims who refuse to assimilate, who commit major violence against Norwegian natives, including violent gang rapes with impunity and who live on the dole, all done without the consent of Norwegians. She is a terrible fucking human. Holy fuck. Bringing it back to the genocide, she denies the genocide of Bosniak Muslims uh, during the Kosovo War and has defended Slobodan Milosevic, who's generally considered a, a tyrant who participated in a genocide. She, uh, bringing it to more recent times, denies the treatment of Rohingya Muslims in my, Myanmar, saying that any violence that exists is because they deserve it. And she also claims there's fuck. a white genocide taking place in South Africa. Holy fuck, this lady sucks. And Ezra... Just goes, hey, Pamela yeah. Geller, we're friends. Come on my show. Let's just shoot the shit about Andrew Cuomo. Holy fucking shit. Like, I, I, and part of me wants to go, he, he wants to try to portray himself as a completely innocent, oh, I don't, I'm not actually bigoted against Muslim. I'm just anti, like, Muslim extremists. And it's like, if you're palling around Pamela Geller and you let her onto your show, to, like, make weird claims about, like, rape incidences happening to, like, BDS people who go to Gaza and, like, uh, complain about hijab-wearing uh, women. Like, this, the problem is you, Ezra. Like, you are an anti-Muslim bigot. You're a piece of shit, and you invite these people onto your show because you are friends with these people. The same people who get cited by Anders Breivik and who then defend Anders Breivik for the mass murder yeah. that he committed, including the killing of children. Defending Brevik is just like, how the fuck do you look yourself in the mirror? Yeah, I don't know. Like, that, is, that should be such a, are we the baddies moment. <laughs> it's like, hmm, do I have to defend? Is like, you wake up and you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to defend the dude who went to a summer camp full of teenagers and killed 69 people. It's it's disgusting, just utterly repugnant. Yeah. And uh, I thought it was important just to go through all of that, just because it's like, this isn't someone who's done one or two things that you can quibble about, like, to what extent it's here or there. This is a person with a long history of just being a terrible, shitty human being. And it's also worth covering to highlight that every time we have an election in this country... Ezra tries to improve his image and get involved in the uh, political sphere and allow the media to take him seriously. Last election in 2019, he had an op-ed published in the Globe and Mail, and they promoted the fact of, we have to let everyone have a, a seat at the table and let everyone speak. And here's the thing. Ezra platforms these people, and he shouldn't uh, get away with it by being given a larger platform in our broader media sphere. And at any point during this upcoming election, if anyone platforms him, they should be uh, themselves marked as undesirable and considered not worth uh, our public attention and destroyed. 
and that includes the Global Mail or anyone who decides to platform this asshole going forward. recording this on Tuesday, so it has been, I guess, two and a half days since the fall of the capital of Afghanistan, uh, the city of Kabul. Um, there is about to be a whole lot of Afghan refugees that are going to need places to go. Um, especially if you are Canadian, reach out to local candidates and, uh, candidates for the election, uh, liberals, conserv- or liberals, NDP, you know, whoever is decent and might win type of thing. Maybe even conservatives, although it's probably not worth it, um, and demand that Canada do more to accept uh, Afghan refugees. If you're American or in Europe, your rep- uh, representatives should also be contacted, um, especially if in Europe, because it's a lot closer and because they're already talking about tightening border restrictions. Um, yeah, like it's, this problem has been uh, so heavily exacerbated by the West and so heavily caused by the West literally the bare minimum we can do is accept as many refugees as possible and as possible means forever until there isn't a real difference between where we live and where anyone else lives because there shouldn't be and the the reason that we have you know this sort of hugely profitable system is because it drains money from those place from other places to funnel it towards north american europe so Pressure people to accept refugees. Pressure people to publicly commit to accepting more refugees, especially since we're in a federal election in Canada. Um, Yeah, that's kind of the big thing. And it's, I think, quite doable. I also wanted to just add to that, which is that you hear a lot of talk about the responsibility America has for being there for 20 years in accepting these refugees. And I think that there's some justification for that. But I think it's equally justifiable to say that we ourselves, uh, as Canadians, uh, also hold that responsibility for the fact that we were there for 10 years uh, as well. Yeah, we were there for 13 years. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and on that note, too, I'm also just going to post an article um, by, that's an excerpt from Tyler Shipley's book, uh, Canada in the World, uh, which talks about how Canada as a settler colony bases its international relations on how Canada as a country was formed through settler colonialism and through the dispossession of indigenous people and how that then is just expanded onto the rest of the world rather than, you know, being seeing other nations as like in any way capable of sovereignty of their own. Yeah, and so the article is from Breach Media, which does a a lot of good articles, and uh, it's titled, Canada Hasn't Reckoned With Its Bloody Legacy in Afghanistan, and it goes through a little bit about the Canadian role in the war in Afghanistan and the occupation. So yeah, take a look at that, contact 
you know, whoever is running locally, tell them to commit to doing better because right now it's looking like Canada is only taking in 20,000 Afghan refugees, which which is basically nothing. Yeah, and I also think that there's a degree of, like, irresponsibility in calling this election now, uh, given this. Like, it would be nice if we had the government working on this issue right now, but instead we now have to campaign. Uh, and obviously, as this election goes forward, we're no longer going to be uh, complaining about the issue of the calling of the election when he called it, it that that has already passed to some extent but at the same time this was a stupid time to call this election for no reason and uh, this is yeah. just another reason for that other than the pandemic which should be a, a reason as well yeah and with that <laughs> such a terrible yeah. transition if you support and enjoy what you've heard so far please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news if you want to stay informed about what we're doing you can also find us on twitter at imperial news with a z we have a private facebook group called imperial news we also have a discord set up and we will be doing twitch streams every monday wednesday and friday at 8 p.m eastern standard time you can find all the links to our social media stuff in the show notes Lastly, you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at striatum.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. And Eastside Mario's, Olive Garden, Super Mario Brothers, and the rest of Italian culture. Bye.